Okay, friends, I wanted to share with you one of the reviews that we received from a listener on Apple Podcasts. This is from user Paddle All Day, and the subject is Honest Open Sex Combo! Exclamation point. They said, this podcast has been so life-giving for me. I've listened to all the episodes and some more than once. As a result of these conversations, I have learned to love myself more, see sex as more sacred than ever before, and also improved in the way I speak to my partner and children about the divine wonder of our bodies and sex. I'm thankful to discover this podcast and to be partaking in the healing it leads to. Isn't that amazing? Oh my gosh. That's awesome. The I best. didn't know that was out there. <laughs> I thought that no, there was one review. That is unbelievable. That is so articulate. It's too. so great. It's so sweet. And we are so thankful for folks who take the time to rate and review the show. It puts us in the algorithm to find new listeners. So we would invite you, if you enjoy the show at all, to go to Apple Podcasts, rate and review. If you don't enjoy the show, then just be kind. Don't do anything like that. But yeah, thank you, Paddle All Day. <laughs> if you know what I'm saying, ladies, let's bring it in. Let's talk about sex. Let me let me get about three or four seconds of silence, and then we'll jump in. From Milieu Media Group, this is Fun Parts, an exploration of sexuality and spirituality for anyone who's curious or convinced there must be more. With your hosts, Becky Patton, Latifa Alatas, Ashley Lusink, Luke Bronner, and me, Steve Weens. Fun Parts! I got a tweeted at a couple of days ago from a woman who's a worship leader, and she tagged me and several other female worship leaders and basically said, how do I reconcile moving my body while I'm leading worship on stage? Because oh as a woman, and I've experienced this too, any movement of your body for some reason is interpreted as sexual, temptress, shameful. And it was really interesting to read all these female responses. And she got a lot of really great responses from the women that she tweeted. And I'm thinking, man, that was two days ago. And like, here's a woman saying, I love God. I'm a worship leader. I'm trying to enjoy and be in the experience, mm-hmm. which inevitably, and I should say this is also very culturally a white worship conversation, just to be very real about that. Yeah. Like, why are we so postured to be offended by anything that's about moving body? And it's all connected to sex, man. I think the irony of being a part of a faith that is entirely founded on the notion of God, the great, mysterious, divine, living God, incarnating and becoming a body, taking on a human body hmm. and being sinless, quote unquote, when what we're saying but not saying is that he just never had sex that God, which we don't know. Right. I'm just saying, but yeah. that's, that's what people are saying. Yeah. That's what we're talking about is that like, we don't really care much about Jesus sinlessness, except that he was not susceptible to, then he wasn't human. Well, I'm and, sorry. And also saying that sex is sinful, no matter what. Yeah, we are. That's there's what we're no saying that there's way no way possible. It. And that's, yeah. and that I want to say, but why do we have that lie? Well, it's interesting, right? So nerdy 30 seconds of seminary stuff. The first five centuries 
of early church debate centered around the nature of Jesus the Christ. Was he fully human and fully God, or did he just appear to be fully human? I mean, this was 500 years of debate that finally got settled in 432 or something like that. So there is something really, really deep. And it comes from the Greek culture of the dualism of, you know, spirit is good, body is bad. But that has, I think, continued on. And and especially lately, part of me wonders around like, you know, the 60s and 70s free love movement and then the moral majority and the Christian conservative political right came out of that movement with a couple of big agendas. And it Mm -hmm. was around abortion and around gay marriage, especially. And I think it was around purity, right? So then we started stacking our identities of Christian and sexually pure over and against hippie, progressive, free love. You know, I'm not trying to make a moral equivalency at all, but pretty soon to be Christian didn't just mean to confess Christ as Lord. It meant to be it meant pure. to sign a piece of paper saying yes. you're only going to be in relationship and date Jesus and wear a purity ring until you die. But this is something that sociologically this is happening. And there's a great book out right now by Ezra Klein called Why We're Polarized. Mm. Like sociologically, why we're so pitted against one another, clustered around poles politically is because of this. For the last 50 years, we've been spoken to as if all of our identities are bundled together and stacked. So you can't be progressive and Christian, according to certain people, or you can't be highly, highly conservative and Christian, according to some people. And this is a this is a phenomenon that goes way, way deeper than even just theology and spirituality. Well, and there's a part of me too that's like all the people making these decisions, the people who are deciding what's canonized, the people who are deciding what's in scripture, <laughs> yeah, the people who are right. deciding what's purity, what's Christianity – these are people in positions of power. And I keep going back to like, you know, there's an agenda there and there's an agenda of control and distraction. And I'm not trying to be paranoid, but I'm just saying like, who are making these decisions and what is their concern for me? I want to trust the people who are demonstrating to me what we use in Christianity as a fruit of the spirit. So that's patience, love, peace, generosity, kindness, self-control, all these things. The people that are actively showing me those tenets, I almost just don't even care what you believe, what you say you believe. Show me. And those are the people I can pay attention to. So like Becky, like I met you and developed, you know, a budding friendship with you. And because you have a long relationship with a very close friend of mine who I also trust. And Mm so part of the reason why initially, even when I was like wanting to do a podcast like this, and I was like, I need somebody who's like a quote unquote expert or somebody who's trustworthy on this topic. It wasn't because like I read your credentials, which are awesome. It's because you have a history with somebody I love and you're developing a history with me that is trusted because I see those fruit of the spirit in you. Like I see the generosity, kindness, peace, patience, self-control. Like you are revealing those things like over and over again to me. And that makes me when I engage with you and listen to what you have to say. And so I think that like when we talk about like navigating belief systems and spiritual communities and dogma, like I've really had to like really simplify my life. Yeah. I've had to really come down to the relationships that I'm in. Are they life-giving? Are they nurturing? Are they trusted? Are they showing these tenants? Mm-hmm. Those people I trust because we're discovering together. Mm -hmm. We're being curious together. Mm -hmm. And it's really scary when you're only developing your belief system around like people who don't even know you. Mm -hmm. Does that make any sense? Totally. 
So, Becky, we said we're going to start the conversation with three pillars. That God is good, that sex is good, and that spirituality and sexuality are intentionally intertwined. Mm-hmm. So, did, yeah. So how did I get to that? And why do I have those pillars come from? Okay. So what happened for me, and the reason I even started having this conversation is because what I realized early on in my marriage was my abuse came out. I'd had abuse as a child and I had suppressed it and I had disassociated from it. And so what happened is it wasn't until I'm actually engaging in sex with my, well, we weren't married at the time, but my soon to be husband and the reality was things were starting to show up, but I was still able to push them down. So the brain has this capacity to push things away. Now, I grew up in a Christian home, so I'm rooted in, and I've been taught about Christianity, and I've been taught about sex in a certain way. And in order to have the kind of pleasure I was having, I had to reject what I'd actually grown up with. And so I was having great sex early in my marriage, and it was opening me up to these beautiful elements, and I was having fun. But the only language I had for it is that I must be sinful that I'm having so much fun because of the church I'd grown up. So I had to reject Mm -hmm. my religious upbringing in order to enter into this pleasure and this fun. So as that was opening me up, what was happening is it was like gradually I was getting in touch with memories Mm -hmm. that I had suppressed. And in suppressing those memories, which is classic when you've experienced trauma, what happens is I would get triggered in the midst of sex with my husband. I would get triggered into emotional things that had happened. And so I kind of started to venture back into the church because I was like, something's wrong with me. And so I need to get some help. And so in going back into the church, I was able to use spiritual language to suppress and quiet some of those things, but it wasn't helping me address what was actually going on. It was just giving me behaviors to cover it up. So ultimately what it led to is when I was trying desperately to find answers from within the church and they didn't have language, they basically said, Go back, submit to your husband, everything will be fine. And that wasn't helpful to our marriage. And so I started in Scripture. In Genesis, I said, well, you're going to read a book, start at the beginning. So I started in Scripture, and there was one line that I read. It's in Genesis, so God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God. He created them, male and female. And I was like, suddenly for the first time, my eyes opened up, and I went, wait, like, I'm created in God's image as a woman I'm created in God's image. And something clicked inside of me. And it was like at about the same time I was reading about the female body. And women have one body part that has no purpose whatsoever other than sensual feeling pleasure. That's all it does in the genital region. And it was like suddenly I went, wait, I bear God's image and that part of me is good and it brings pleasure. And it was like this, something just really clicked for me that went, wait, maybe God is good and me being a woman can be good. And that was a revolutionary thought given the very conservative upbringing I brought up in. And so I found a term that I felt comfortable with and I just went, oh, wait, maybe God is gender full versus gender defined as him, but all of our pronouns in scripture are him, father, and it became something for me that I had began to embrace God as she, God as mother and father. Mm-hmm. And that was 20, or I've shoot, I've been married 40 years. That was probably 35 years ago. And it was like, that was revolutionary to me. And I would 
take it places and people are like, oh, that's a slippery slope. I'm, I don't know what you should really do. You, probably, you don't really believe that or that's new age. And I was desperate for people to have that conversation with me and nobody. I couldn't find people. Yeah. Mm. So. So I'm not a Hebrew or biblical language scholar by any stretch of the imagination, but you just said that all of our pronouns that were given in scripture are he and him and father, which is not actually necessarily true, right? I mean, that's the way they are translated in English, but you're a Hebrew guy, right? I wouldn't call myself a scholar, but yeah, I've studied for sure. So I think one helpful thing for folks who maybe are just beginning to deconstruct this conversation and maybe have never even had an imagination for any language for God outside of masculine pronouns is to know that that's not, at the very least, language aside, at the very least, all of the metaphors that were given for God are not necessarily as male or father or... For example, they're not all human. God is a tower. God is uh, a rock. That's true too. God is a mother hen. God is... A pillar of cloud. A pillar of cloud, fire. You know, so there's many, many metaphors for God. Father is one of them. And I think the reason why father is used in the Bronze Age culture and even beyond was this whole idea that the father passes on you know, the benefits, the father can bless and give mm. a future to the child. That's how you would understand that. And so God, the father is able to do that to God's children. Well, now we don't think that way. So it's much less helpful to solely think of God as father. So we have translated that now people still hang on to know God has to be father, but it's hanging on to a construct that we no longer think about. So it's no longer helpful. Well, and I think it's been studying with a rabbi that has taught me so much about the Hebrew language that doesn't, it's, you can't translate it directly into English. I mean, originally it was in the Hebrew, then to Latin, then to German, then to Old English. It's a big game of telephone. For sure. It really mm. is. But there's ways in which we interpret scripture through how we've been taught but we have to recognize this is a translation. But I also want to say, like, it is true that in the Hebrew scriptures, God is referred to as Father for a reason. Like, mm-hmm. I just, I'm hearing, like, bing, 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 yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but from listeners, right? And so we don't want to walk away from that. I think my point was it's for a different reason. Well, right? and I, I think that reason is actually really important. We have to ask yeah. the question, and this gets into, I think, laying the groundwork for someone to adopt a gender full view of God Mm -hmm. is to say, is the patriarchal language of scripture, is it a reflection of God or have we canonized the wrong thing? Exactly. Is it a reflection Mm -hmm. of culture and scripture was written from a particular perspective and that's how they described God or, you know, have we chosen to say that like, well, because that's what scripture says, that must be true of the nature of this wonderful, mysterious God. And I also just want to insert that for those of us like myself that are still taking a very long break from the Bible because Mm -hmm. of how it's been weaponized, and I understand the whole don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, but part of my surviving some of the dogma that has damaged me in the community that I love has been just needing to kind of take a break from Scripture. Mm -hmm. I still deeply connect with God and have been discovering God in patterns in nature and mm-hmm. the community that I'm in yep. and the love I've received. I've seen God as a reflection in, in the relationships that have nurtured my soul. And those relationships have been male relationships, female relationships. I'm talking about friendship, but also like I think about people, you know, 
in the gay community, the gay community has really embraced me through my suffering and pain and trauma. And I have seen God reflected to me in such an endearing and pure and loving way. And so that experience, my experiential learning has been, oh, God is neither male or female. God is like neither human or tree, mm-hmm, but like mm-hmm. God is this mystical, cosmic, powerful, mm-hmm. loving energy or force. And if we want to use triune language, if we want to say mother, father, creator, Christ, spirit, I'm really okay with that. Those are terms I'm comfortable with. I grew up with those terms, but I've had to like re-identify them in a way that doesn't feel triggering to me. And I think that the nurturing reality of God, because of the ways we have defined feminine in culture, I've honestly always felt more drawn to like the mothering nature of God. Like I've been more attracted to the nurturing, kind, gentle, patient, loving, which I think can also be very masculine, I should say, but versus like the Hebrew culture and scripture needed a God, I think that was powerful and mighty and swift and would you know, thwart their enemies. That is not a God that I... But I think there are different... Okay, when I say God is... Oh, I'm so finished with your Oh dad. yeah, I was just going to say, so like when we're referencing one of the pillars, which is God is good, I am like, Becky, I'm totally with you. My path to being grounded in that has been to be away from scripture because that is how I honestly have met the spirit and God in a really empowering, beautiful way. And it has been through meditation and community mm-hmm. and nature. Like I read this book by Pete Enns called The Bible Tells Me So years ago. And I wept through the whole thing on a plane, underlining the whole thing in red, being like, oh, I'm normal. It's okay. Mm-hmm. Like, And that whole book is about not taking scripture literally and how damaging that can be for mm-hmm. people who haven't read it. It doesn't offend me when people love scripture. It's just my relationship has been tenuous with it. And I just want to make room for people that don't even identify Mm -hmm. with that. But I think that the conclusions you have come to through your interpretation of scripture, I'm still totally with you on that. Yeah. And part of what I want to say is it was the scripture, but it was my experience of pleasure Mm -hmm. that I was connecting with. And it was like, oh, wait a minute. And that's where I want to say, I have a tenuous relationship with scripture as well. I'm not going to scripture looking for answers, but at one point I was. Mm -hmm. I was like, I've got to figure this out. But in starting in Genesis, mostly what I had found, most of religion is built on Genesis 3 and beyond, not on Genesis 1. Mm where there's just good, it's just a great story about this beautiful element of something coming to life by a tension of separation. And it was like when I started to allow myself to sit in this tension-filled places of I don't have answers, I can't give definition, but I've had experience of pleasure. Mm. And I can name that as good. Mm. And therefore, it was because of my upbringing, the only context I had was, wait, God created the world and God created human beings. And it was like, therefore, that pleasure, why is it separated from the creator? And that was part of my journey. And I want to say, honestly, in so many ways, it was walking away from scripture as I've read it in the past and finding experience. And then suddenly, like, in study, one of the there's a scripture in Deuteronomy 30, verse 3, it says, Then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you. And that word compassion actually means womb. 
God will womb you. And it was suddenly like when I started to see these popcorn things pop up in scripture, I was like, wait, wait, what? God will womb me? Well, what is a womb? It's this safe, nurturing, growing. Mm. The world's kind of muffled. You don't have understanding. You're in a childlike state. And it felt like suddenly, like maybe in scripture, there is something beautiful about this God. And so that's part of how I got to God is good. That's part of it. And that's how I started to go, wait, can I see my, I mean, I'm a woman and I have a womb and I was pregnant when a lot of this was happening for me. And so as I was shifting and holding and protecting this little one, there was something in me that went, wait, I'm wombing. My womb is good. And it's part of how God made me. And it was taking my actual physical pleasure experience and connecting it to God just in tenuous little ways. And I was scared to death, but I didn't have anybody to have that conversation with. And so it was about reawakening that who I am as a woman is actually good. So I feel like the question that's coming to mind for some people is like, okay, maybe they can get on board with the idea that God transcends gender, but why go so far as to modify the language that we use around God? Like if it's good enough for the Bible, then it should be good enough for us. And I think that's an important question to answer. I think there's a lot of reasons for that. One, that we sort of forfeit a lot of the mystery of the divine when we, anyway, that we sort of put parameters around what God is or who God is. Another thing is that we have to understand that the ways in which that language can trigger the people we are in community with and the people who have been particularly traumatized by the church, the ways in which that language can trigger that trauma for them. I think so. It's an act of hospitality to acknowledge the way that we have privileged those pronouns over the course of the last hundreds of years to stop privileging them. It's not that we're throwing them out. It's not that we're making God female. It's none of those things. It's that we're using all of the words that we have at our disposal, all the language that we have at our disposal to try and talk about something that transcends all of that language. Mm -hmm. That's kind of the reasons for me, but I would love to know how y'all would answer the question of like, well, why mess with it? Why bother, especially in this conversation, why does this matter? So really, number one, again, back to the construct, we can only understand God if God is limitless in mystery by creating a construct to understand God. And back in the Bronze Age, it was God as Father, because that's how blessings were passed down. But when I first started really thinking about God is not just he, I'm not comfortable with using God as just he as a, in my sermons or in my writing, I used God as just God, God's self. I never used any personal pronouns for God. So it was all, I worked very hard at saying God, 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 God. What happened after a while is that I noticed that in my own self, and I think in the people that were reading and listening, God became less personal, you know? Mm. And so my movement then was to start using, like you just described, Luke, he and she, and sometimes even they. Mm-hmm. And I like your language of, we're not going to lose he, because that's what I was doing by saying just God. I was mm-hmm. losing he, which wasn't necessarily great, but by reclaiming he, she, and they, it expands the picture of God. And it is, even that can be triggering for people for sure. But for me, it began to give God a much more personal feeling again. Mm. I've led worship for 25 years. And just in the last few years, started to adapt and adjust songs to be gender full. So I'll either not identify gender, like I use the word creator, Mm -hmm. or I say mother, father in equal amounts. 
in the song. That's actually what I just did with my latest record. But, you know, in all of my wandering and curiosity down like spiritual bunny trails, the one thing that I have never been confused about is the hospitality and love of God. Mm. Ever. Like I might be confused about everything else, but that has, and, and like, I think we have seen that in stories with Jesus, that there's just unending hospitality. Yeah. And I think about my friend who we were writing songs for a record about being good neighbors for this other project. And they started writing songs in Spanish and she's an immigrant from Mexico. And she immediately was like, when I hear my native tongue, I immediately feel welcome. And so I think when we hear our native gender, whether mm. that be he, she, they, we immediately feel welcomed into mm. the hospitality and love of God. And man, that's just never confusing to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like I have permission to be confused about anything else mm-hmm. I want. Mm-hmm. And and I sure I can even be confused about hospitality, but it's just that is something I've always been able to come back to mm-hmm. and that I'm so grateful for. And I think that we feel welcomed when we see ourselves in somebody else. It's why when we meet somebody, we initially look for what what is similar in us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we discover what's different in us. Mm-hmm. And then we like come to like, oh, we're all just here, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I think when we're trying to define or explain or describe God, it's imperative that we're able to encompass the hospitality of God by identifying God as many things because that's how we feel welcome. Like God's not an English speaker. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Wait, know? what? Yeah. Yeah, God of all languages and yeah. non-language. For me personally, the genderfulness gave me freedom to see gender as a dimension mm. versus a designation. Good, Ooh, good, 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 good. And so that's where, if we look at the dimensions of God, cloud, tree, I mean, whatever we're looking at in that element, mother, father, there's a dimension. And I want to say there have been so many different dimensions of God as a genderful God that I have actually needed. Wow. Like at times I've needed the nurturing. At times I've needed the, will you get going? You know, I mean, I've needed that. Will I stand up? I've needed the confrontation. And at times I've needed to be hidden in that cloud and just experience it. Sometimes I've needed that. Sometimes I've needed this gentle kiss on my cheek Mm -hmm. that may come from somebody that that I care and trust. And it's like, all of those things feel like dimensions versus they have to fall under this distinction and designation of a gender. And that made space for some of my gay friends mm-hmm. and it made space for some of the elements that I was wrestling with in my own. I've been told oftentimes that I'm strong and that's a male trait and I need to calm myself down. And it's Girl. like, no, that's part of my passion. Mm-hmm. And I need to recognize that that passion can wound people and it can heal people. Mm. And so there's a responsibility that goes. So there's a dimension in me of God's presence, an image that has been woven into me. Mm. And it's not separate from my sexuality. It's a part of my sexuality. And I think it holds mystery because I can't define it. Mm. I can't define it. But did I find it in scripture? Kind of. I love that because... You know, if we say that God doesn't have to be male or female, then honestly, me and my characteristics and my dimensions That's right. can be, have masculinity and femininity. And because there's not just two kinds of people in the world. Good no. Lord. You know, no one would say that. You know? That completely changes the way or expands the way we understand being made in the image of God. Right. That image is far more grand and mysterious 
when it is dimensional than when it is something that we define. And I love that. And for me, it's like, is it expansive and getting bigger and better and more flavorful or is it getting smaller and narrower? And, you know, and I think that's one of my trigger things for when we're talking about God, if, if it sounds like it has to be getting narrower and more defined and less ambiguous, that's when my, uh Oh, we're probably off track, but if it's getting expansive and beautiful and embracing mystery, I think, okay, now we're probably getting closer. You know, so I think what we're doing then and what's important for people to understand who are new to this conversation is that we are not we're not expanding the nature of God. We are only expanding the language we use, which is still limited because God transcends all of it. Yes. The reality is we aren't expanding God. We're actually exploring. Right. Yes. Oh, that's it. I'm just suddenly going, wait a minute. For me, my first expansion came in and I started to explore. Wait, God is mother. That was an expansion for me. That yeah. was like an eye opener. That was an entry in where then suddenly I got to get curious. That's so good. It's us. We are the ones who are expanding. I love that. Yeah. We are. Because part of it is we're finding the edges of our box that we've built that God fits in. And every time we find the edges, what happens is there's this little kind of, wait, mm-hmm. oh, there's more? And it's this and. And that's my whole thing about like, people say, don't put God in a box. I say, no, you actually always will. Yeah. You always will put God in a box. That's the only way to understand God at all. The only problem comes when you feel like your box is the only acceptable definition of who God is. But if you're always saying, that's the construct. That's what I mean when I say the only way we can understand God is by having a construct. Hopefully we come to times where we explore and we break out of the construct and we all... But then we have to understand that our next iteration will also be a construct. Well, and to not look back at the box once we have deconstructed the box to look back at it cynically and say that I I needed that. That's something I'm having to learn now is to say that like I have only in the last two years come to identify the structure in which I grew up as fundamentalist. But it was like generous fundamentalism and it was kind fundamentalism. It was sincere fundamentalism. It was fundamentalism and I have left it behind but i'm learning not to resent it because it held community it for me. you it held belonging yes for and you. it introduced me to the living god that i'm learning yeah. transcends yes. all of the yeah. ideas that it gave me the word belonging like keeps resonating yeah. in my spirit mm-hmm. and i think that people who get upset as you get to the edges of the box and get angry I think it has so much to do with the security of belonging. So not just belonging to God, but belonging to the community around you that's in agreement about these are the edges of our box. These are our terms about who God is. And I think a lot of us just stop exploring there at the risk of losing community, Mm -hmm. at the risk of losing relationship, at the risk of losing faith, or there's just so much fear Mm-hmm. around losing belonging. And that's why I think the hospitality of God is such a crucial thing to discuss and be curious about because if we really believe that we are welcomed, desired, loved, adored by a welcoming God, what a great place to start. Mm-hmm. 
And man, I I just think so many of us get so freaked out. We're going to lose friends or we're going to lose a relationship. But can I say something? And the element of this is if we see that God like that, guess what? Then we see that in one another. That's exactly right. And And if I can see it in me, if I can see it in me, then I can, then I actually am looking for it in you. That's exactly right. And when I'm looking for it in you and you and I connect over that, it's like suddenly we have something. It's like, and that's sort of what I think of when I say namaste, Mm. honestly, which is the acknowledgement that like you are an image bearer and I'm an image bearer and I see how we are connected and woven together in this mysterious fabric and, and thread of the nature of the being of God. Yeah. God is the fabric. God is the thread. God is the needle. And like, we're a part of all of that, you know, Mm -hmm. we're brought into that. And so that's actually why I say namaste all the time is it's, I acknowledge the light in you. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I say cheers, actually, a lot of times to people, because cheers is originally this thing where you look in one another's eyes and you acknowledge, I'm sharing this moment with you. Yeah. And that's actually why, if you ever clink glasses with me, you have to look in my eyes or I'll make you. I wonder too, like when we talk about God and I think about purity culture, I think about how our religion in America and Western Christianity in particular has been shaped. I do think a lot of the guardrails have been about like, who are you having or not having sex with? Mm-hmm. And that's how you belong in this community. Yeah. I mean, if we're just going to like come back for a second, like, so we're welcome. Preach it. And I just think that like, I've had so many questions about that growing up. And even now as a divorced single woman who is dating, but like trying to navigate this space. And I have led worship for 24 years. And after releasing a record called Divorce and doing a podcast about divorce, the church communities that used to invite me have just silently turned their backs on me. I'm so sorry. Oh, I knew it was coming. I just didn't think it was coming as hard as it was. <laughs> but I'm okay because like yeah. I have community. I have belongingness like with my friends and, and with my tribe. I guess what I'm wondering about is like why do we – because I'm thinking about like why we're here and the tenants were here. God is good and the interwovenness, mm-hmm. and I'm sure we'll get to that. But like why is it that even when we say we're not talking about sex – we're using sex and sexuality to define in sort of a sneaky way, I think, like the parameters around religious community and mm-hmm. belongingness. Oh, I think that we definitely are. I think the reason why, for me, yeah, I felt I'm like this conversation has yeah. to start here is because our view of God will impact our view of ourselves. When I say God is good, guess what? I am made in God's image, which makes me good. I don't get to take that out. Just like my eye color and the shape of my chin, it totally resembles my dad. The reality is, is I can't erase that from me. I cannot erase God's image from within me. So therefore, at the core, I am good. And we can argue that till the cows come home, but the reality is that is a part scripted into me, etched into my being. God sees me and sees me as good. But my view of God will impact how I view myself. And that's where I think if you're having this conversation about sexuality and spirituality, you can't have it without addressing the things that have actually influenced how you've come to the conclusion that people have had to divorce their spirituality from their sexuality because you don't have those conversations of them being interwoven. Would you say it's fair to attach sexuality to body? Like, do you think we've sort of like tethered body to sexuality and so we've separated our spirituality even from being inside of our bodies because sexuality is such a sensual physical experience it's our flesh yeah which that's another whole rabbit trail i'm not going to walk down right now but i think the reality is the relationship we have with 
where our construct began is going to influence how we see God. And how we see God is going to influence how we actually view this physical body we are presently in. Right. And so how we view that will determine, and that's what I'm saying for me, it, something that awoken me was the fact of I had outgrown what I'd been given. Mm. And I didn't have a language for how pleasure and God connect. They were interwoven. I didn't yeah. have a language yeah. for that. And that's what I was looking for. I was trying to find a way to be whole yeah. and be within the sensuality of what I was experiencing mm. in the midst as trauma is erupting up, which right. had been used for bad, but I was experiencing good. Mm. And how did God fit in that? I think I have a story that goes with this. A number of years ago, I was speaking at a, a local university here that is more traditional. And I was doing a late night. They have these late night talks and stuff like that. And so there were probably two or 300 kids in this room, and we're having this conversation. And there was a professor who had invited me in to talk about God and this whole concept of God as genderful. And he's got his doctorate, so he's got all the bells and whistles that you possibly need. I don't have all those bells and whistles, but I've had experience. And so we start having this conversation. And at one point, this he's probably 19. 19-year-old stands up and says, I have to stop you. You as a woman are standing on this stage right now, and you are causing me to sin. Now, he comes from a very traditional, conservative background. And what I, I didn't preface this with is one of the things that I had been praying in my own heart, I'd been asking God, will you please let me encounter this pastor that passes a church that's very, very directed in one way and has a very narrow view of God. And women are not allowed to teach or preach to any. And so there was this whole group of them, we'll just call them evangelists, all from that church. And very that sincere, very Very earnest. sincere, earnest young men. And so I just engaged him in conversation. And I wanted to stand there and know if I could I love them. Could I love that other? And it was like this well of love came pouring up in me. I don't even know. How, I was like excited. And I looked at this young boy and I realized I'm looking at someone that bears the image of God. And he doesn't see the image of God in me. What he sees is the construct he's created of who I am from his theology. And so what I said, I looked at him and I said, wow. I have that much power in your life to actually cause you to sin. I said, my concern is that your theology doesn't say you own your own power. So I started asking him questions, and then pretty soon his buddy's standing up. I have all these guys standing up, and I didn't realize it was becoming as heated as it was because I was still loving them. And I, I was I, I was like, yeah, I hear that. That's hard. Okay, yes, I you've grown up and that's what you've heard. And you've been taught that. And my question is, is that what you really believe? And so we finished it out at one point. As soon as I stepped off the stage, I was surrounded by about 25, 30 girls. And they're like, why didn't you take him to task? Why didn't you just mow him down? And why didn't you just pound the truth into him? And I said, I don't think destroying somebody ever creates love Ooh. and these girls to this day I have a couple of them in my life that say in that moment I saw that I have to love whoever it is I stand across from that night I got escorted by 
two security guards and they all walked me to my car. I didn't realize that I'd literally created that kind of upheaval, that they were just, the guys were in up in arms and they were coming after me. That's wild. This is a Christian university. As the security guards, they said, we think it'd be best. We're going to follow your car off campus. But the reality is, is there's something in that. Are we willing to be a part of the disruption? But I can't tell you how many years I've been doing work of can I actually love the other that's opposed to what I see in this text as something beautiful. And so I see God as genderful as this beautiful, expansive thing. For some people, they're not going to see it that way. One of my big concerns is in the LGBTQIA plus community where pronouns are so very important. And that's one of the things that I, I just want to say, it's a piece of language in order to engage in a conversation. It doesn't have to be the perfection of language, but can we find ways to meet together? It's symbols this? of hospitality. It's yes. hospitality. There yeah. you go. Yeah. Because in my heart of hearts, I loved those evangelist boys. <laughs> They were boys. They were 19, they were 20. They, they were boys, but they were passionate yeah. about what they were coming at. And what I hope, and this has been, as I reflect, have reflected back on that conversation so many times, what I've wondered is, oh God, did I get to plant a seed there? Or will one of those seeds pop up through that rock and create a little tiny growth in someone someday at some time? And I get to be a part of helping deconstruct something. I, I don't know. I don't know. But what I do know is the way we care for others, and I, the, to your hospitality point, is this can't be a fight against. It needs to be an engagement for, an exploration for. This episode of Fun Parts was produced, edited, and mixed by me, Luke Bronner. Our artwork was designed by the very talented Alan Lusink. Nerdy 30 was composed and produced by Latifa Alatas, and other music from this episode is from the fine folks at Blue Dot Sessions. Check out our website at funpartspodcast.com and be sure to follow us on social media at funpartspodcast. Lastly, if you want access to bonus and behind-the-scenes content from this and other Milieu Media Group shows, join our neighborhood at the Patreon link in the show notes. And now, here's a scene from the next episode of Fun Parts. I think that it was recognizing in my own body the structure of my body had been created with the intention of me experiencing pleasure without that part of me having any other function in my body. And it brought into question, wait a minute, but God's intentional with everything God does. That's what scripture tells us over and over again. And so for me, there was this intentionality with which God had created my physicalness. And I couldn't deny that that was good.